0: it's tuesday april 7th 2020 i'm stephen fee and this is the pen pod a limited run podcast from pen america on today's edition an interview with pen america president and author jennifer egan about her experience with the coronavirus and how cataclysm can become opportunity i'm stephen fee that's coming up on the pen pod One of the perks of working at the organization PEN America is that our president is none other than the inimitable Jennifer Egan, a novelist and short story writer. Egan is author of the Pulitzer-winning novel A Visit from the Goon Squad, and her most recent work is Manhattan Beach. She's a transformative voice for American literature, a fantastic steward of PEN America and its national roster of members, and she joins me now. Hi, Jenny. Hello. Look, Jenny, it's so nice to hear from you. I wanted to give you first an opportunity um, to talk about your own um, personal experience with the coronavirus.
1: Well, I'm undiagnosed like so many, but um, I am basically just emerging from three weeks of illness, um, which was uh, very difficult, even though I had an extremely mild version. I never had trouble breathing um, but I was diagnosed basically by phone by my doctor and did find, and I'm someone who's in pretty excellent health generally, this was a this was a circuitous process that really took a full three weeks to emerge from. Um, and it was tough. I mean, I had a lot of fevers. Um, they seemed to, the symptoms seemed to change, but not really go away. So it took a lot of patience, which is not my strong suit. But <laughs> um, well basically, I feel very lucky to never have had breathing trouble and never have had to go to the hospital. And I'm just relieved to be feeling better.
0: Well, we're really happy you're feeling better, too. It's it's great to hear that you're on the other side of this. Um, I, I want to know from your vantage, you know, and again, I realize that you've obviously been struggling with this on your own for the last few weeks, but how do you see this pandemic affecting The literary community and what kind of toll is it taking on writers
1: i mean the ones that i feel most immediately i mean obviously some people are ill and let's hope that they all recover so that's number one um i feel terribly for the people whose books are coming out now or were supposed to come out now i mean the thing that's so tricky about writing books is that it takes an incredibly long time it's years of one's life generally And then you really have a couple of months in which to try to sort of make something happen in the culture through often live events. And those are a really important part of the process, which I've really come to rely on as sort of closing the circle of solitude in which the writing happens to connect with readers, you know, have the experience of of reading aloud getting feedback, um, all of that is now gone and we've moved into this virtual realm, which I think is a lot harder to work in, especially because everyone's work lives are virtual right now. So it's hard to distinguish. I mean, there's something so precious about a live event. I mean, I think we, I, I personally feel like I've never appreciated that more in my life. Um, so i really really feel for the writers whose books are coming out now or soon that mm-hmm. title was carefully calibrated no doubt to avoid the election and other hazards of this fall and you know it's i i just very much hope that that these writers can thread the needle and connect with an audience
0: Yeah, I mean, so do we. And what's so interesting is, you know, a lot of the conversations we've had on this podcast have been about literature as a comfort. And, you know, I'm wondering what role you think books and poetry and the written word can play at this moment?
1: For me, there's nothing that provides a better escape. Although sometimes the, there has to be a kind of catalyst into that escape. In other words, we're you know, we're addicted to the news, we're watching Governor Cuomo every day, we want to know the stats, and that can become a kind of loop of information that is, you know, sort of immediately satisfying because we're getting information, but but doesn't really do anything beyond that. For mm-hmm. me, you know, sinking into literary experience is, once it has occurred, which involves putting away the technology is kind of like entering another dimension and i i think of literature as as really the dream life of the culture that creates it so by engaging in it we are entering into the dream life of a, of a different time and place and there's just nothing quite like it um and so, I, I mean, I just value it hugely. I just read uh, pl- um, Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Oh yeah. uh, Tokar Kruz. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. Uh, amazing. And also really transporting because we're talking about, you know, post-war Poland. It's a really different world. Um, I'm also reading The Mirror and the Light, you know, complete, mm-hmm. delicious escape uh, although there is something about our current moment that actually feels sort of medieval. Uh, yeah. It doesn't feel quite as far from my, my own life as Bringing Up the Bodies did. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm just a huge believer in that. And I also think, you know, one thing, one secret weapon that we writers have is that we don't have to be hired to do our work. We don't need permission. We can just do it. And I think in a certain sense, witnessing to this moment Letting that dream life of this moment happen in the literary sphere is really all of our obligation. And to the degree that we can overcome the distraction, and of course, that's the big hazard of trying to write is finding that focus through distraction. We are performing a service that will be vitally useful to those who follow us.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we talked briefly, especially about writers whose books are coming out right now. But just generally speaking, you know, how can we support each other right now as as readers and writers?
1: You know, for me, it, it's pretty simple. Buy books, read books, and probably number one, talk about books. You know, it's amazing how often the talk turns to television, even among <laughs> literary people. And I And I think it's just habitual. First of all, it's easier to find people who are watching the same shows. I mean, you can pretty much bet that if you say Tiger King right now, <laughs> you'll find right. and look, I'm enjoying it too. Don't get me wrong. But I just find that I, I ask of myself to always ask other people, what are you reading? <laughs> Make mm-hmm. that question part of every conversation. And it's interesting how it seems to lead to deeper discussion ultimately than what are you watching? And, and for all the great TV out there, honestly, I find that you know if it's a choice between reading and watching, I read. It just yeah. feels like a deeper satisfaction and also a kind of insistence, in my own life anyway, on the importance of this practice. So I think that just keep literary culture alive by insisting upon its centrality. That's what we can all do.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And then watch Tiger King later.
1: (laughs) Um, Or or now.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I, you know, I, I failed to, to mention at the top of this interview is that obviously you're here in New York City, um, which is the heart right now of this pandemic, although it will, it is inevitably hitting other parts of our country as well. And of course the world. Um, and, you know, I can't help but think, you know, you and I got to talk a bit about um, when you wrote Manhattan Beach and all of the work that you did to delve into the history of New York and the second world war. And, you know, you, you had this opportunity, I feel in the book, you presented us with this opportunity to view the city through the prism of, of Crisis through the prism of of the sort of upheaval that was happening in the mid-century, and I'm just wondering, what what do you think now uh, when you when you look out your window when you think about New York City, you know, what can you say about its resilience uh, and, and amid a time of of yet another crisis?
1: I mean, what I would say generally, and this is something that I saw in my research for Manhattan Beach and have seen at certain times personally, human beings are unbelievably adaptable and resilient. We underestimate that aspect of ourselves, I think partly because we're such creatures of habit that it can be hard to imagine living in radically different ways because we're so used to whatever we're doing at a particular moment. But what I saw at during nine eleven, when I was also living here, what I saw, you know, um, just, you know, through my research for Manhattan Beaches, life in New York has changed radically many times. And in the wartime period, it was incredible what happened. I mean, women did work they had never done before. People of color were integrated into American life in ways that they hadn't been before. Our habitual nature, which makes all of that hard to imagine. Is also what makes it possible because we re-acclimate to new circumstances pretty quickly now the war ended, and there was a thought of just reverting to life as it had been before the women were for mm-hmm. example in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, they were all fired um, and you know pretty much expected to sort of go back home or go work for the phone company, the sorts of jobs be a secretary, the jobs that women had had before the war, and people of color the same. But if you look at you know if you look at the civil rights movement, which exploded you know in the early '60s, to me there's such a direct through line there. In a certain way, it it was not possible to reinstate the old modes of life um, after these changes. And I guess my hope for this moment is that we too come out of this with some pretty radical changes to our lives. Um, I'd love to see a different notion of what value is that doesn't specifically mean monetary value. You know, there are all mm-hmm. kinds of value in our culture. We're really seeing that, you know, underpaid healthcare workers are basically what are keeping us alive here in New York. Um, yeah. You know, we, we don't value our physical environment. Um, we we desperately need to recalibrate that relationship. And I I guess I really hope that this cataclysm becomes an opportunity for healing, you know, a kind of deeper sickness in our culture that that needs to be attended to desperately.
0: Uh, Well, Jennifer Egan, uh, as always, we appreciate your optimism. So glad you're healthy. Um, She's president of PEN America and author most recently of the novel Manhattan Beach Run, Don't Walk. If you haven't read it yet, thanks so much for joining us.
1: A pleasure, Stephen. Thank you. (laughs)
0: And that's our episode for Tuesday, April 7th, 2020. Join us tomorrow for the Pen Pod. We'll talk to author Eion Lee about her War and Peace book club. You can listen to all our episodes at pen.org. Follow us at Pen America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Sign up on our website for our daily Dare newsletter where we track major stories about literature, free expression, and the news of the world. I'm Stephen Fee for Pen America. This is the Pen Pod. See you tomorrow.